Well, again, it's so good to uh, be able to be with you today. I'm glad that you're here and joining us in worshiping our Savior today. And if you're joining us online this morning, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I'm praying that you will sense God's presence wherever it is that you may be. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Book of Exodus chapter 20, and today we're continuing our series that we're calling uh, The Presence of, of God, and I just want to thank our awesome pastors, uh, Hunter and, and Daniel, uh, for sharing God's Word with us the last two weeks. We're blessed to have awesome staff and awesome pastors, and it was blessed to uh, be able to hear from these two young men uh, preach the last couple of weeks. And uh, what I'm doing in this series is looking at the book of Exodus and the powerful examples that we see there of God's presence, uh, the, the examples of God's presence as He presents Himself uh, to His people and the people of God there in Exodus. And all throughout the book, we see Him revealing Himself in various ways and in different ways, and, and like I shared when we began this series a few weeks ago, the big point in Exodus is not about their slavery. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, about the slavery and bondage that they were delivered out of, uh, but instead the point of Exodus was what they were being delivered to, what God was bringing them to, and that was knowing Him. Uh, experiencing Him, being in His presence uh, and in His blessings. He wasn't just saving them from something, but He was saving them to something. And there's a powerful lesson uh, in that for you and, and for me as followers of Christ. He's not just saving us from something, but He's saving us uh, to something. And we see it first when God says to Pharaoh uh, uh, in Exodus chapter 9. I, I know I said we were going to 20, but I just uh, want to, you to see what I'm talking about here for just a moment. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, the scripture says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. All right? God says to Pharaoh, Let my people go. Why? So that they can experience freedom? No. He says, let my people go so that they may worship me. What's the point of their freedom and being free? It's worship, right? What is the point of everything that God does in your life? Why does He do it? What's the point of everything that God does in your life? Well, it's so that you would know Him. And that you would enjoy Him. Everything that God does for you in your life is so that you might recognize Him as a good, good Father. So that you might love Him and desire Him and want to walk with Him on a daily basis. And most importantly, to worship Him. Friends, this is the point of Christianity. This is the point of Christianity. It's being in the presence of God and understanding who He is and loving Him for who He is and what He's done and worshiping Him for who He is 
and what he's done. I was sharing with just uh, one of my boys this past week. You know, he's uh, been praying about something and thought something was going to go a particular way and it didn't. And, and I was like, hey, listen, uh, take this from a, an old man who's seen a lot and been through a lot. If God doesn't do what you want him to do, sit back and watch and wait on what he's about to do. Because he's about to do more than you could ever dream or imagine. You had a plan and he looked at your plan and went, ah, I got so much better than that for you. Because I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know how much I love you. And in response to that, walk with me. Enjoy my presence. Live in my presence and worship me for who I am and what I've done for you. And in church, you know, we do a, a pretty good job of talking about what Jesus has delivered us from. He's saved us from our sin. And that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome that He would save us from our sin. And He would save us from our past. And that's incredible to think about. And we talk about that a lot. But we probably don't do as, as good a job as we should in the church of talking about what Jesus has saved us to. Well, what He saved us to. And, and, and you know, when I was a kid in church, uh, uh, a little Free Will Baptist church there in, in Conway, we sang a lot of songs in church about Jesus taking us to heaven. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We still sing songs about heaven, and I'm looking forward to heaven. We're doing a study on the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, and would love for you to have us join us. And I'm not saying there was anything wrong with us singing those songs. We sang about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. We sang about the sweet by and by, and Brother Madewell would get to shouting. right? But the point of Jesus' work... And what He did for you and for me was not simply just about Him taking us to heaven. Right? It, it, it's, uh, you know, it's about the Lord of heaven. It's about Jesus getting into us right here in the here and now and where we live. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer, if you think about it, it's not God get us out of here. Right? That's not the Lord's Prayer. God get us out of here and get us to heaven as quickly as you can. No, the Lord's prayer was what? God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the whole point of this series. On the presence of God that we might know Him. We might live in Him. He might live in us. And then experience His presence and know Him and worship Him and stand in all of Him, to enjoy His presence, to crave His presence. And in light of that, how God opens up chapter 20 here makes perfect sense. And a couple of weeks ago, Hunter took us to the base of that mountain that we had been visiting the first couple of weeks of this series, and he spoke to us about the idol of that golden calf. And I'll tell you this morning when I asked uh, them to speak and I asked uh, Daniel or Hunter or anybody uh, to speak, I, I don't ever tell them what they need to preach on. 
I don't ever give them a subject. I don't ever give them a topic. I don't ever give them a passage of Scripture uh, to preach from uh, because I don't believe that's how it ought to work. I hate it when people do that to me. Uh, People before have asked me to speak at different places, and they said, here's what I want you to talk about, or here's the passage of Scripture that I want you to use. And I absolutely hate that, and I do a horrible job every time somebody asks me to do that. Because I don't believe that's the way that God works. I believe when we tell somebody what we want them to say, we're trying to be God. And we're trying to play God. And we're trying to say, this is what God wants to say through you. And so when the boys, when I ask the boys to, to, to speak and, 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 and preach for us, I say, you know what? You preach whatever God lays on your heart. You preach whatever God tells you you need to share. You preach what you're passionate about right now. What's God saying to you when you read the Word? What's God speaking to your heart when when you get in the Word and do your devotions and read your Scripture? You preach on that. You preach on what God has laid on your heart. And I appreciate uh, them doing that. And and neither one of them had an idea of what I was going to preach on when I came back or if I came back. uh, they, They didn't know. And Hunter preached on the idol of the golden uh, calf, and at the conclusion of his message, he gave us all some homework, and I want to speak to that in just a few minutes. But first, this morning, I want to elaborate a little further on this danger of worshiping idols, this danger of having idols, and God addresses it here in chapter 20. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. So let's pick it up here this morning. Uh, in chapter 20, uh, starting at verse number 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. God is reminding them here. God is telling them here, you're no longer slaves. You're free. I saved you from bondage. I I brought you up out of slavery. I I brought you up out of political slavery and bondage. And now, don't miss this. You're free. You have been freed physically. I have freed you, but now I'm going to deliver you from your real slavery, and that's idolatry. You've been freed physically. Now, I want you to be freed spiritually. And he says so in verse 4. So you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Don't miss this. The proper worship of God and devotion to God. Friends, don't miss this. It's the true foundation of freedom. Everybody wants freedom. Everybody wants to be free. Why so many people are trying to get into the United States of America. They want to experience what we're experiencing. 
Everybody wants to be free. They want their kids to be free. They want to live in freedom and experience freedom. Don't miss this. The proper worship of God is the foundation of the freedom that everybody wants in their lives. See, we were created to want to have this freedom. God created us and made us the way we are so that we would desire to be free. And the way that we experience freedom is through Christ and through what He has done for us. And so this morning, the first thing that I think that we need to do in in looking at this and what uh, God says here is this, is we need to define what is idolatry. What is idolatry? And I believe that often when we think of idolatry, we think of these images like we saw a few weeks ago. We, we get this image of people bowing down to uh, something like a golden calf. Or, or we see people bowing down to uh, you know, some sort of pole or some sort of altar or something like that. We, we, we get this image of people dying, bowing down to something. Now, I've never uh, been to Greece uh, and to be honest with you, I don't really care to go. Uh, a lot of people love to travel and go to other countries and other places. I don't want to go anywhere where people can't uh, understand me and I can't understand them. That's just awkward. Uh, I've been to New York, been to New York a lot. I can't understand them and they, they can't understand me. So if I go, I don't want to be there long, right? Uh, but, it, but anyway, I, I've, I've never been to Greece, but I was reading about Greece and and that in older parts of Athens, Greece, and some of you may have been there, uh, there are literally uh, temple uh, temples that have been built to Greek gods. And in the old part of Athens, they say there's one on just about every corner, a temple that has been built to a Greek god. And there were many. There was the god of Artemis, who was the goddess of prosperity, and success and money. Uh, the goddess of Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom and intelligence and political power. There's the god of Nike. A lot of us are familiar with Nike. Some of you uh, are against Nike. Uh, but the god of Nike was the god of victory. And this was a God that would be worshipped by the athletes and the warriors. They would worship the God of Nike for victory and success. Aphrodite was the goddess of sexuality and beauty. You worshipped her by having sex with temple prostitutes. Now most of us here today don't worship idols like that. I said in the 8.30 service, I'm pretty sure about you guys, but that 10.30 service, I'm not so sure about. But I'm going to say for the most part, most of you here and watching online this morning, you don't worship idols uh, like that. And so we think that, you know, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I really don't care about the Greek goddesses and all that. But I would argue today that this does apply to most everyone that is here today. I would say that this does apply to almost every single one of us. What is idolatry? What is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that you look to 
to do for you what only God can do for you. An idol is anything that you're looking to that will do for you only what God can do for you. Let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you can't imagine being secure or happy without it? If you didn't have it, then you would not feel secure or you could not be happy unless you have it. Is there something that is so important to you that if you lost it, you'd feel like your life was hardly worth living? Idolatry is not so much about what you bow your knees to. It's more about what you trust the most. What you spend the most time trying to get. Or who you pursue with all your heart in order to feel loved and be accepted. Now, this morning we may not bow down to the God of Artemis the God of success and prosperity and money. But I'd be willing to say that there are some of us here this morning that can't imagine our life without it, without money, without wealth. And so, what do we do? Well, we make all kinds of sacrifices in order to have it. We make all these sacrifices to our idol so that we might be blessed by our idol. And some are so driven for these things of money and success that they actually sacrifice their family for it. They're willing to lay their family on an altar of their idol and sacrifice it. So that they might have wealth and success. No, they don't literally kill them and lay them on an altar of fire like we might think of as being a sacrifice. But they put their job and they put their business before their family pursuing what? The God of Artemis? Money, success, wealth. And number one, they're actually sacrificing their family and destroying it. But they're also teaching their children what the most important God is in their life and in their family. And they're teaching their children to worship the God of Artemis willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes for wealth, prosperity, and success. People may not literally bow down to the God of Athena for wisdom, but how many people are driven to have the highest GPA? How many people are driven to be the smartest person in the room? And they sacrifice time with family. They sacrifice money to achieve that. 
We may not literally, literally, it's easy for you to say, we may not literally bow down to Nike, the God of victory, although I do bow down to Nike every time I go to put my shoes on. I'm finding, I'm finding that whole bowing down to put my shoes on is becoming more and more difficult each and every day. But seriously, we may not bow down to that idol, but every day there are people who are pushing and abusing their bodies, taking enhancements, taking steroids, in an attempt to be the best, in an attempt to maybe be the best athlete. They want to walk on the field, they want to walk in the room, or they want to walk on the court, and people say, look at them, they are the best. He or she is the greatest. And so in order to gain that praise, in order to gain that recognition from others, what do they do? They sacrifice whatever it takes in order to achieve it and to get it. We may not physically bow down to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex and beauty, But you can tell by watching the commercials on television that people are spending millions of dollars a year in America worshiping Aphrodite, the goddess of sex and beauty. People are spending millions of dollars a year in in America to look better, to look sexy, to have better sex. And to look like the world says that we ought to look or perform the way that the world says we ought to perform. And girls, young girls, obsess over their bodies. And you know what? We want to focus this on girls and on women. But you know what? It's not just women. Because there are a lot of men who obsess over their bodies. And how they look and how they present, them, present themselves. It's not just women. It's a common problem. And in pursuit of these things, they are sacrificing so much of themselves to the goddess of sex. And the goddess of beauty without even realizing it. And even realizing what they are doing. And I don't want you to get me wrong this morning. I'm not saying that all these things are bad. I totally agree with Brother Jim. He always said even an old barn needs a new coat of paint every once in a while. Ladies, we'd appreciate you wearing that makeup. I'm not saying it's bad. But I'm saying some of you men need to be wearing it too. Right? It's not all bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Not saying wanting to look nice is bad or wanting to smell nice is bad. We prefer you look nice. And I definitely prefer that you smell nice. So don't get me wrong, all these things aren't bad, but here's the deal. Sometimes we allow good things. Right? Sometimes we allow these things that are good to become the main thing, to become the most important thing. And friends, when we do, then it becomes an idol. The word for glory in Hebrew is the word kabod, which means weight, as in how much you weigh. 
right? So to give glory to something is to give weight to it. You worship something when you give it the weight that you should only be giving to God. Every single person here today, every single person that is breathing air today in this world is a worshiper. We were created to be that. That's how our bodies were designed, how our hearts were designed, our minds were designed, that we would want to worship, that we would be worshipers. And so here's the deal. Every single person today that is breathing, if they are a worshiper, and they are, what are they worshiping? We're either worshiping God, capital G, Lord and Savior, King of Kings. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping these little G gods that the world says we should worship. So, what is an idol? Well, simply, it's anything that you love more than God. And we would say, oh, but I don't love these things more than I love God. (laughs) Well, can I ask you, how do we show our love to something? How do we show our love to someone? What does that look like? How do we do that? Well, we show our love... By devoting our time to them, right? I I remember when Lynette and I started dating. Man, the first time I saw her, head over heels in love. She'll tell you. And I'll never forget. All I wanted to do is be with her. All I wanted to do is spend time with her. And when we couldn't be together, we talked on the phone. And it was before cell phones. Kids, it was the strangest thing. We had these things they called phones, and it had a cord on it. And you could only go so far with it away from your parents, right? Ours was strategically placed. We had one, and it was strategically placed in the kitchen. And that sucker, we had that, Tina, didn't we? We had a a cord that stretched from there to the moon, right? I mean, we put a long cord on that thing. But I would talk to her, and we would just talk about nothing just because we wanted to be together. And it'd be getting late, time to go to sleep, and neither one of us would want to say goodbye. We didn't want to hang up, so we just slept together. (laughs) And and y'all totally got that wrong. I should be careful what I say on the phone. That's wrong. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm saying. Some of y'all do. No, I'm joking, but seriously. We show our love by devoting time to what we love, right? I mean, you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. I still love spending time with Lynette. We show our love by what we spend our money on, right? So I challenge you, look at where your time is spent. Take a close look at where your money is going and you will see what it is that you love the most. Now, as Hunter a couple weeks ago sent us home with some homework, I'll be honest, it was a difficult assignment. 
For those of you that were here, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and catch up on the previous messages in this series. But I respect so much the fact that he stood up here in humility and he confessed before his church family what the idol was that he struggles with in his life. And I was convicted because I knew immediately when he asked the question, I knew immediately what my idol was and what my golden calf was. Because the idol that I struggle with the most is admiration from other people. It's what I desire. I, I, I want so bad for people to think highly of me. And I've worked hard all my life trying not to be a failure. In whose eyes? The world's. And in trying to gain the recognition and gain admiration and gain love from everybody else, I have failed. I have failed my family and failed my God that gave His life for me so that I would be free. And so I have bowed down to this golden calf. I have bowed down to this idol of admiration and trying to please others a lot. I, I work hard to uh, be a success. I work hard at trying to build up the church and build the church. And sometimes, to be honest with you, looking back, I have done it selfishly. I have done it for all the wrong reasons. And sometimes I have done what I have done just so that everyone would think highly of me. That's why I worry about the church's future to the point that it is unhealthy. I fear that the church is going to fall apart. I fear that the church is, is going to have great damage done to it. And I'll be honest with you, this pandemic has only added to that. It's only added to uh, those fears. I mean, when you go from uh, running close to 400 in, in worship every, every Sunday to averaging about 140, it makes you begin to question things and question what you're doing and what's going on. I have a fear that with all these churches going online now, that you guys are going online with them. <laughs> One of the fears that I have is that you're going to go online and listen to other preachers. <laughs> and you're going to realize, wow, you know what? Steve really isn't that good a preacher at all. <laughs> And then I'm going to show up here one week. Nobody's going to be here because you've all gone to a new church. I know it won't be Freddie Marks because I've heard him preach. But there's some others out there that I may be a little worried about. 
I'm going to show up here and nobody's going to be here. Just me and Lynette sitting here in this big old room. And I'm up here preaching and she's listening to Stephen Furtick in her earbuds, you know. <laughs> I'd go to his church too if I could. But seriously, y'all, do you, know, you know what I've realized during this pandemic and during this time? This is not my church. <laughs> Not my church. This is God's church. And He loves her. He loves you. A whole lot more than I do. More than I ever could. So you know what? I trust Him. With her future. The effects of this pandemic on the church. Not my problem. <laughs> it's His. It's His church. And he's got a plan. Do y'all know what? That is easier said than done. So you know what I worry about. I think it's only fair today that I ask you, what do you worry about? What is it that you worry about? What is it that you worry most about losing? Is it money? Is it somebody? Maybe not having enough money to get you through retirement? Do you worry about people thinking you're a failure? You'll always be a nobody. Does it eat at you? And do you worry because you just hadn't been able to lose that 20 pounds? Your kids are not turning out the way you thought they would. Maybe you worry about losing your spouse to death or divorce. I believe there's another way to come at this question, this comfort. Where do you turn for comfort? What, what, what do you trust or what do you turn to when things are going south? And when things are going bad? When you get depressed, when things are stressful, where do you turn? To a bottle of wine? To a beer bottle? Maybe to some drug that helps you forget about it or not feel it? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's shopping. Some people get depressed and medicate with plastic. <laughs> 
Because, hey, you can handle anything with a new pair of shoes, right? Y'all think I'm just talking to women. I got a pair of shoes for every day of the month. And got a new, got a new pair coming in this week, hopefully. Got a new pair yesterday, too, didn't I, Nuke? New pair of rubber boots. I got a problem, folks. Our text here tells us that an idol is anything that we bow down to or worship besides God. And we are all worshiping something. We were created that way. So what is it that you are worshiping? Because I'll just be totally honest with you today. Sometimes I'm in a service and I look out across the congregation and I see people who look like they are bored. Or I see people that look like they're annoyed during a designated time that has been set aside as the corporate worship of the body of Christ to worship our Lord and Savior. And people look bored. And people look annoyed. And I see those same people acting like a fool at a ball game. I see them working 80 hours a week at their job. But when it comes to the body of Christ coming together to worship a Savior that died on a cross for their sins, well, they're just kind of ho-hum about the whole deal. Oh, it's just the music will come in when it's over. Or some of you watching online, you don't even tune in till the music is over. Which, by the way, our music is absolutely the best. They lead us to the throne in a beautiful way every single week. It's important that we worship. And you know, that may sting a little to some of you this morning, and it should. Brother Jim used to say when someone would say that he was stepping on their toes, he would say, I'm not going for your toes, I'm going for your heart. Friends, this is a heart condition. This is a heart problem. It's an idol worship problem. A lot of people today are worried, stressed, panicked, and freaking out about what Biden is going to do to our nation. Friends, you might want to start freaking out and panicking about what Satan is doing in your home. That's where he's at work. That's where he's attacking. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So some of you here this morning are like, okay, Steve, you got me. It's time to wrap this up. I'm an idolater. Where's the support group? Uh, we're starting a new small group tonight called Idolaters Are Us. And uh, you can sign up out there in the lobby. <laughs> How do we break free from it? How do we escape it? I mean, honestly, we recognize it. We see this in ourselves. If we're honest, we do. So what do I do about that? 
how do I break free from Amazon Prime? <laughs> you know, I've been down the last couple of weeks and there's been a box showing up every single day. You know, I'm like, I've got a problem here. I tell y'all, I'm preaching to myself every time I preach. So how do we break free from this? From this bondage, from this slavery of idolatry. It's important. But you know what? The answer to the question is right here in our text. And it's maybe surprising to you. Did you notice what comes right before this command in our text today about bowing down and worshiping idols? Verse 1 and 2. Look at it again. It says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't miss this. God says, I have already saved you. Do you get it? He's saying to the people, you've already been saved. You're free. We sang about it earlier. We are free. And that's what he's saying here. I have already saved you. He doesn't say here, I'm going to save you as a reward of you loving me. I'm going to save you as a reward for how well you worship me. Right? This is huge. Listen, we will love Him and we will worship Him in response to our salvation. Right? We will love Him and we will worship Him in response to the freedom that we already have. Those who He has set free are free indeed. Right? And so this is in response to the love that He has shown us and the salvation that He has already given you. Friends, it's all the other religions in the world that say, if you love Him enough, then He'll love you back. Not Christianity. Right? God says, I loved you first. I love you first. I have purchased you. I've bought and paid for you. I have accepted you. I have adopted you into my family. I have saved you. Now, kids, live in that freedom. Enjoy the freedom that you have been given. Live in that freedom. And then when you understand your freedom and where your freedom came from, love me in response to what I've done for you. Love me in response to your salvation that I have given you. Not in pursuit of it. You, you see, we can't just work up our love for God. We can't manufacture it. I don't care how loud they turn up the bass. We can't manufacture more love for God, all right? We just can't do that. Because if we could manufacture it, we would always be trying to prove ourselves, right? If we could do that. Have I done enough? Is it enough? Should I have lifted both hands instead of one? You know, did I, did I worship Him properly today? Did I sing loud enough? Have I done enough? Is it good enough? Friends, that's not freedom, that's bondage. That's bondage, thinking that we have to earn it or do something to receive it. It's because of your freedom that we love Him in response to 
His extravagant love for us. God has already purchased your salvation through the work of Jesus on the cross. It's all done. It's done. Your freedom was bought and it was paid for. And if we could just see that, if we could just embrace that, if we would just believe that, if we would try to wrap our minds around this extravagant love that God showed us on the cross and just stand in awe of the cross, of the love and the compassion that was shown to us there on the hill of Calvary. As the blood dripped from his face and the air left his body. He did that for me. It requires a response. And if we could see that and understand that, it would move our hearts to have a passion for Him. And want to be in His presence and crave His presence. And want to be with Him and around Him and Him in us and us in Him. He's the Father who has loved you and never left you. He has always believed in you. And He keeps coming for you. Folks, you couldn't ask for a better friend. Or a more compassionate king. So this morning I would say. Our response to him. Is to respond. How do you respond to this? How are you going to respond to. What God is saying in his word today. Is he going to be your God. Or not. That's totally up to you. This is the story of Exodus. God has freed them. And that's what He's done for many of you that are here this morning. But I also know that some of you have never been freed. Because you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. We sang about surrendering our lives. Surrendering means just giving it all to Him. Accepting Him, believing, believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins. Believing that Jesus is who He said He was. And then confessing your need for Him. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, you don't know anything about this freedom. You could never experience it or even understand what I've been talking about today. But you can. <laughs> You see, it requires a response. You either accept him or you reject him. It's your choice. You can do it either way. It's your choice. But I know that many of you here this morning have accepted him. I know you. I see it in your lives. I see the fruit. And you know this freedom that I'm speaking about because you're living in it. 
but still we get caught up in trying to chase after these little G gods. I know you do because I do, folks. It's okay. It happens. So how do we break free from that? Because you know what? These little G gods that you chase after and serve, they're not working for you, are they? You can't drink enough. You can't take enough drugs. You can't buy enough to do what only God can do for you and in you. And so this morning, I think every single one of us, including little preacher up here, have to respond to the real God and surrender it all to Him, perhaps even if it means doing it again and allowing Him to become Lord and to live in that freedom. And I'll just say to you this morning, I know I've talked about booze and porn and everything else under the sun this morning. Maybe you're here today and, you know, God's not saying in this and through this, come clean up your life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying get rid of all your junk, get rid of all your booze and all your dirty magazines, right? But he is saying, that'll come in time. I'll take care of all that. At its proper time and in the proper place. Right now, trust me. Accept the freedom that I have offered. Accept the freedom that you've already been given. (laughs) And live in that. Respond to that. Learn of my love for you. And I will change you and make you into who... I want you to be. And friends, here's the deal. Here's something that I'm learning as of late. Not only will he, he turn us into who He wants us to be, but He'll turn us into who we really wanted to be. If the truth be told, we want God to make us into who we really want to be. And man, that looks a lot like Him. I want to look like him. I want people to look at me and say, you look like your daddy. Question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to choose him and embrace him and live in his presence? Or not. Let me pray for you this morning. God I thank you for the freedom. That you have given me. The salvation. That I have experienced in my life. God I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it's doing right now. And I thank you for what it's going to do in the days ahead. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I love y'all. God bless you.